Well, welcome to Lake Point. My name is Ernest Smith. I'm a pastor at a small little church plant called Front Range Christian Church, which is right outside uh, of Denver, Colorado. And I am truly honored and humbled to be here at Lake Point. Uh, Lake Point, I don't know if you know this, but you are making a huge difference um, all over the world, not just in other countries, but in the fourth most unchurched country right here in the United States. God is using you in some incredible ways. And I remember the first time that I met Pastor Steve and Pastor Rick Burge, it was at a church planning conference. And I remember going into that conference thinking, how in the world do I start a church? Like, what does that even mean? What does that look like? Is it kind of similar to starting a lemonade stand? If so, I've got that down. I did that when I was six. You know, I, I didn't know. I, in fact, I had another pastor that told me when, uh, 40 years ago when he planted a church that what he did is he got on his bicycle, he tied balloons to the bicycle, and then when he saw little kids, he would give them balloons and invite them to his church. And I thought, if I do that today, I'm going to be starting a church in a jail cell. So it's, you know, not going to go over too well. So I had no clue. And after that conference, after getting a chance to meet with Pastor Steve and Pastor Rick, uh, not only did I walk away with more knowledge, but I was encouraged that maybe, just maybe, I didn't have to get on a bicycle and give out balloons to little kids to start this church. And honestly, Lake Point, God has used you in some incredible ways over the last few years and uh, my life and my family and our church. And uh, God has just blessed us in tremendous ways because of you. And I don't know if you know, but Lake Point is a leading church in the church uh, in the, the church planting movement all across the United States. And there are cities like San Francisco and Boston and even uh, our northern friends in Montreal and all the way to Denver that God is radically changing the face of those cities because of you, Lake Point. And I'm so grateful. I can only speak to our little church plant in uh, a little town called Castle Rock, Colorado. Anybody ever heard of Castle Rock? Anybody? Good, seven of you, awesome. Um, it's a little, uh, little city that's right in between Denver and Colorado Springs, and uh, our family moved there in July of 2013. We started the church last February, so we're, I don't know, 16 months old, something like that as a church, and now uh, we moved there. We, we primarily chose that area because it was highly unchurched. In fact, in fact, a new uh, survey just came out, said that we are the eighth most unchurched state in, in the United States, and uh, we love that. We're, that excites us. Uh, they say that about 5% of the people in Colorado attend church. That means that 95% of Colorado is unchurched, and that excites us. We were excited to move to a place that was so under-resourced and so highly unchurched uh, that, that we would be able to see God make a, a unique difference in that area. And, uh, you know, when people think about Dallas, at least when I think about Dallas, I think about the Cowboys, I think about Papacitos, you know, different things like that. Uh, when people primarily think about uh, Denver, they think about one thing, especially since the start of last year, and that's marijuana. Uh, the number one question that I get asked when I go outside of Colorado, I never get to ask this inside of Colorado, but anytime I go outside of the state, I, the number one question that I get asked is, Ernest, how are you doing, dealing with the whole pot issue? You know, it's a fair question. I mean, it's one that a ton of people ask. It's a fair question, but honestly, I'd rather talk about something else. Like, let's talk about how the Broncos are going to win the Super Bowl or about how the Broncos are America's new favorite team. Uh, Sorry, I'm in Dallas, or something like that. You know, let's, let's turn our conversation somewhere else, and, and it's my prayer that that conversation will turn, that God will do something so great in our, in our town, so great in our city, so great in our state, that the church will take back ground for his kingdom and his kingdom alone, that people will begin talking about that. And honestly, Lake Point, because of your influence, because of all that you're doing, we're seeing God take back ground in our town uh, in fact, since we started, uh, we've seen God do some incredible things. This past Easter, we had over 1,000 people in attendance. Uh, in fact, 1,001. 
It sounds so much cooler to say over 1,000, so I'll just stick to that. Uh, we've had over 150 people give their lives to Christ and make some type of commitment for Jesus, and that's incredible. In fact, right now we're in the process, we're gonna be starting our second campus, uh, which is about 20 minutes away from where we currently are, and I'm kind of scared out of my mind even saying that, produces a little anxiety in me, but uh, we're just excited about what God's, what God's doing and what we're seeing him do in, in our little town. One quick little story, uh, a few weeks ago I was uh, speaking about baptism, uh, and there was a guy in the crowd, his name was Jonathan, he's 19 years old, and later I found out that Jonathan hadn't been to church in eight or nine years, he was mad at God, had kind of distanced himself away from God and away from church, but he was kind of giving it a second shot, this, this go around, and so he came to church, I was talking about baptism, at the end of the message, I always give an opportunity for people to accept Christ. I tell people about the good news found in Jesus, and Jesus alone, and how God saves and redeems and restores, and, and I always give people an opportunity to accept Christ, and so at the end of the message, Message, uh, I gave this opportunity. I said, if anybody wants to accept Christ, just look up at me. And Jonathan looked up at me. And then later we gave an opportunity to be baptized for everybody. And Jonathan went ahead and took that step. So in one day, Jonathan went from being completely unchurched, mad at God, angry at God, hearing the good news, accepting Jesus Christ, and being baptized. I mean, we were just seeing God do some incredible, incredible things. And people, people at Lake Point, I want to just say thank you. I mean, if it wasn't for the coaching of Pastor Steve and Pastor Rick Burge, if it wasn't for the prayer team here consistently following up with us and asking what you guys can be praying for, if it wasn't for multiple uh, people in this room that have come to, to Castle Rock on mission trips to serve us and serve our, our little town, if it wasn't for your generosity, your giving week in and week out goes to not only impacting this community, but impacting the world and impacting our little town. And Lake Point, I wanna say thank you because if it wasn't for you, I don't believe we would be seeing what God's doing in our town. I believe that God has used you in incredible ways. You may never even heard of Castle Rock, never heard of me before, but God has used you in your consistent serving, your consistent giving, and your prayer for your pastor and allowing him to impact and pour into others. That God has used you an incredible way to change the face of our town. So Lake Point, thank you. Now every week I pray the same prayer. It's one that I pray for our church, I pray for our family, for our community, I pray this. I say, God, do something that only you can get the credit for. I want God to just do something that only he can get the credit for. Sometimes I say it another way because I kinda get stale, so I'll say, God, flex your muscles. Like, God, do something that only you can get the credit for. Like, do something so big, so powerful that only you can get the credit for. God, flex your muscles today. And every time I pray that prayer, I think of a story found in the, the book of Acts. And that's what we're going to turn to today. That's what we're going to look at. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to it. If you don't have your Bibles, no worries. It's on your, it's on your notes. And we're going to look at Acts. And Acts is the fifth book of the, of the New Testament. And it's a historical account of the early church. And I love the book of Acts for a few reasons, but primarily I love it because it shows God's power. It shows God at work in the life of the early church, but not only does it show does it shows God's power in the early church, but it shows how God is still powerful today. That the same great mighty things that God did once ago are the same great mighty things that God does today and can do in our lives and in our churches. And the story we're gonna study is no different than that. And so if you turn to Acts chapter four, let me back it up just a little bit, kind of give you some context of what we're looking at. Acts chapter three, you have uh, James and Peter 
Peter, uh, and, and they're kind of walking through, or sorry, John and Peter, and they're walking through Jerusalem, and uh, as they come upon Jerusalem, they're, they're walking through, and they come upon this guy, and we're only told two things about this guy. Number one, that he's over the age of 40. We don't know exactly how old he is, but we know he's over the age of 40. Uh, and number two, he's a paralytic. Uh, that he's been paralyzed his entire life. He's never been able to walk. And this guy, he's a beggar. I mean, that's how he gets his money. That's how he pays the bills. He just sits on the side of the road and he begs people for money. And so the guy, he's doing that. He's just kind of begging for money. And Peter and John, they're kind of walking through the streets of Jerusalem. They come upon this guy and the guy's begging them for money. And Peter stops and he says this, gold and silver I don't have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise and walk. And he does. I'll think about this for a moment. I mean, think about if this were to happen. Think about if this were to happen at the Forney campus or if this were to happen, for those of you watching online, whatever community you live in, or if this were to happen right here at Rockwall, assume that there is a person in your, in your town that everybody knows. I mean, everybody would know this guy. They would all know his name. They've walked by him many times. You've probably walked by him and dropped a few dimes in his bucket because you just kind of felt bad for the guy. He's a paralytic. He can't do much. You know, he's been born that way. That type of, so you just kind of feel bad. So you drop some money or or whatever, everybody knows this guy, and all of a sudden these two guys come onto the scene, and they say, hey man, we don't have gold or silver, but what we do have, we give it to you. In the name of Jesus, rise and walk. You can imagine the uproar that the city's in, the excitement of the people, the stir, the, the buzz that's happening in the city. In fact, the Bible tells us that that day, that 5,000, that at the end of that day, that there were 5,000 men who had given their lives to Christ. Now, just a few days earlier, it was Pentecost, and we saw that 3,000 men, women, and children came to Christ in one day, and now it's saying that after that day, that 5,000 men have, were now believers. So that tells us that, that in this one event, in this one day, that hundreds, maybe thousands of people placed their faith in Jesus Christ because of this one miracle. I mean, this city's going crazy. I mean, it's, a, it's just everybody's talking about it. There's just this excitement. Everybody's happy. Everybody except for the religious leaders. See, the religious leaders, they're not very happy. The, the Sadducees, the priests, the guy in charge of the temple, they're not very happy because they don't want people placing their faith in Jesus. I mean, Jesus was the guy they just killed. They just crucified Jesus, and now people are placing their faith in Jesus, so they're not very happy. So, in fact, they take Peter and John, and they put them in prison. And then they begin questioning him. They're trying to figure out, you know, hey, how did this happen? I mean, they, originally they tried to discount the guy, like this really didn't happen. But I mean, this guy's a paralytic. Like everybody knows who he is. He's been there for over 40 years just kind of begging. And you can't discount a guy who couldn't walk and now can walk. And so then they start questioning him, like, how did this happen? Peter, John, how, how did this event occur? And they just say it was by the power of Jesus. It was in the name of Jesus and they don't like that answer, and that's where we pick up in Acts chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 13. It says this, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. Let's stop right there for a second. I love that passage because it gives me some hope. It says that when they looked at them and they saw that they were common, uneducated men, they were like, whoo, wow, that's amazing. And I think people have said that about my life many, many times. Like when they realized I was common, uneducated man, they thought, how did they get, how did he get that wife? You know, when they realized that I was a common, uneducated man, they thought, man, how in the world can this guy be a pastor? This passage gives me a little bit of hope. And if you're kind of that way, then you've got some hope here as well. So let's continue. Verse 13. This is one of my favorite passages in all of scripture. It says this. 
and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. That's just Paul's right there. Nine simple yet powerful, powerful words. Let me repeat them. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. I mean, what does that even mean? I mean, what did they see in these guys' lives that they thought, hey, I, I think you've been with Jesus? I mean, what was it about their countenance? What was it about their character? What was it about the words that they were speaking? What was it about their lives that people would say, hey, I think you've been with Jesus? I mean, it wasn't their physical appearance. It wasn't like they were Moses and they went on top of the mountain and, and, and they experienced this encounter with God and they came down and their face was glowing. That wasn't happening. It wasn't like Jesus was a hipster, so all of his followers wore skinny jeans and kind of had a frohawk, that type of thing. Like, that wasn't happening. So there was nothing about their appearance that would have said, hey, I think you've been with this Jesus guy. So what was it? I mean, they, it, the, the, right before that, it says that they recognized they were common, uneducated men. They were astonished by that. And then they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So what was it? I think it was simply that, that there was nothing special about these men. They were just common guys. They were uneducated. And yet they're standing before the very council that has put Jesus to death. Think about that. The same guys who have placed Jesus on the cross, they're now questioning these two men. What in the world would, would make Peter and John think that their outcome is gonna be any different than Jesus? If their savior, their God has just been put on the cross, then them proclaiming Jesus, proclaiming the power of God through Christ, of course their outcome is gonna be the same. They were common, uneducated men, and yet they're very bold. They're persistent. They're willing to proclaim the power of God. They're willing to proclaim their faith in Jesus. And I think it was that that made people recognize, hey, I think you've been with Jesus. Can people say that about my life? When people look at my life, when they see my actions, when they hear my words, if people could get into my thoughts, would they say, hey, I think you've been with Jesus? Do I love others in such a way that it becomes clear that I've been with Jesus? Do I speak encouragingly about others in such a way that it becomes clear that I've been with Jesus? Do I love and serve my neighbors, even the ones I don't like a whole lot, in such a way that it becomes very clear to them that I've been with Jesus? Do I exhibit grace and love to my kids and to my wife in such a way that they would say, Hey, daddy's been with Jesus. A few weeks ago, we were traveling and uh, we were, it, it had all the makings. This trip had all the makings of a bad trip. Like you ever like start off a trip and you're like, this is gonna be bad. Like you're getting into the minivan or onto the plane or whatever. And like, it's just, it's just gonna be a bad trip. That, that was this trip I'm thinking in my head. And it was a Sunday afternoon. We'd had a long day at church and a couple of services in our membership class. And we got onto the flight at about 5.15 in the afternoon and, I have a five-year-old son, a three-year-old daughter, and neither one of them had taken a nap that day. And if you have kids that are little and you're like, we need naps, you know, and we weren't gonna get to our destination until after midnight. So thinking about that, I was like, oh my goodness. And then we get onto the plane and our seats are broken up. And so I have to ask the lady beside me if she'll move so that uh, my, my, or so, uh, the lady in front, so she'll move so my daughter can sit with my wife and my son in the row in front of me Then I'm sitting in the middle seat. And if you've ever sat in the middle of the seat, you know, that's purgatory. So, you know, I'm just like thinking, man, it's just going to be bad. Like, this is going to be a bad, bad trip. And 
So we take off and all throughout the trip, I'm just trying to like keep my daughter seated. She's three and she just wants to get to daddy. So she's trying to climb over the seat and I'm like, Waverly, sit down. Waverly, don't kick the people in front of you. Waverly, calm down. Waverly, don't yell. Like I'm trying to do everything possible to try to make the people around us not hate us. And, and so I'm trying to just calm everybody down and, and you know, but at the same time, like speak kind words and all of that stuff. And about halfway through the trip, the lady beside me, she looks at me and she says, so are you going home? I thought, please don't talk to me. <laughs> like, <laughs> please. Like, I'm an extrovert, so to get me to a place where I don't want to talk to people, it took a lot, and I was definitely there. I'm like, please don't talk. I said, well, I'm not going home. We're going to our hometown, but our home is in Denver now. And then she asked the question that every pastor dreads. She said, what do you do? I thought, I don't even know how to answer you. Like, I don't want to talk to you, so, like, how do I answer you in this moment? <laughs> so I thought about the different options that I have. Like, what, what could I say that would you know, create the, the least amount of questions in her mind. So I thought, well, I could say that I work for an international organization, you know, or an intergalactic organization, if you will. Some of you will catch that later in the day. <laughs> I could say, hey, I'm a motivational speaker. You know, maybe that won't get a whole lot of questions. I could say I'm a shepherd to sheep, you know, like what am I gonna say in this moment to like cause her not to ask me any more questions? Well, I thought I'd be honest with her and I said, well, I'm a pastor. And she said, I could tell. I don't even know what that means. Like, what do you mean you could tell that I was a pastor? And she said, I could tell by the way that you were treating your family. And it was the greatest compliment that I could ever receive because what she wasn't saying, she wasn't saying that I could tell you were a pastor by the grace you were giving your kids and by the kind words you were speaking. She wasn't saying that. What she was actually saying is, I could tell that you had been with Jesus. There was something different about you, something different about your life. Now, that's a great little story. I mean, I love to be able to tell that story because it just happened a few weeks ago, but let's just be honest, that's not always the case. I mean, my neighbors don't always recognize that I've been with Jesus when they hear me yelling at my kids through our windows, you know? <laughs> I mean, my staff doesn't go, oh, Ernest has really been with Jesus. When I come in, I'm grumpy and I'm hangry and all those other things. And, you know, my kids wouldn't say, oh, daddy's really been with Jesus today when I'm, like, frustrated with him and I want to put him to bed at 5 p.m., you know, like, it just... You know, my wife doesn't think, oh, Ernest has really been with Jesus when I act like I'm listening to it, but really I'm off somewhere else. Like, it's not always the case that people can say about my actions or about my words, wow, Ernest has really been with Jesus, but at the end of the day, that's the goal. At the end of the day, what I want people to be able to say about me is that they look at my life, they see my actions, they hear my words. If people could get into my thoughts, they would say, I think he's been with Jesus. So how about you? Could people say that about you? If people were to see your actions, if people were to hear the words that you even spoke today already, if they were to get into your thoughts at all, would people be able to say, I think he's been with Jesus. I think she's been with Jesus. May that be our goal. May by the end of the day or by the end of the week even, may people be able to look back at our week or at the end of our day and go, man, I can really tell, I can recognize that you've been with Jesus. Let's continue on with the passage, Acts chapter four. We're gonna go to verse 14, and again, just more truths that we can find in this passage. And it says this, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone 
in this name. All right, guys, I got it. I got the plan. So in order to, to make Peter and John be quiet, let's just threaten them. That'll work. Like, if we just tell them, you can't do this anymore, they'll listen. Verse 18, so they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God or to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. I love this. There's a, all right, here's the deal, guys. Are you telling us not to speak in the name of Jesus? You decide. Is it better for us to listen to God or listen to man? Listen to God, our Savior, or listen to you? You, you can judge us for that. Verse 20, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Like there's no other option. Like there's nothing else that we can do than to speak about what we have seen and what we have heard. And continue on verse 21, 22. And when they had further threatened them, they let them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. I love this section of scripture because it simply reminds us of a powerful, powerful truth, and that's this, that God wants to do something so great that only he can get the credit for it. When we look at this story, we look at this miracle, we see a truth that God wants to do something so great, so powerful, that only he can get the credit for it. You look at these guys, I mean, Peter and John, they were good dudes, but there was nothing exciting about them. There was nothing special about them. They could not have healed this guy on their, their own. They could not have healed this guy by using their name. It was only by the name of Jesus that this guy was healed. It was only God doing a great, big, powerful miracle that this guy was healed. It was God doing something so great and so powerful that only he can get the credit for it. And God wants to do something so great and so powerful in our lives, in our ministries, in our church, in our community, in our neighborhood, in our family, something so great and so powerful that he and he alone can get the credit for it. Why? Because when God does something so great and so powerful that he and he alone will get credit for, two things happen. One, people are drawn to Jesus. People place their faith in Jesus Christ when God does something so great and so powerful. Just look at this story. I mean, the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people, men, women, and children, had given their lives to Christ. And now at, at the end of this miracle, 5,000 men, which means thousands more, women and children, had given their lives to Christ. And so this one miracle, this one big, huge thing that God did, it drew many, hundreds, maybe thousands, to faith in Jesus so when God does something so great, so big, so powerful that only he can get the credit for, people are drawn to Jesus. And the second thing that happens is it results in people praising God. At the end of this passage, it talks about how the, 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 the religious leaders were thinking, well, what do we do? I mean, I guess we have to let them go because all the people were praising God. When God does something so great, so powerful in our lives, in our families, in our church, in our neighborhoods, in our community, when God does something that only he can get the credit for, it will result in people coming to know Jesus and then people praising God. So what has God done in your life that he and he alone can get the credit for? What has God done in your ministry, in your church, in your community, your neighborhood, your family that only he and he alone could get credit for? For. Let me say it another way. What are you praying for that is so big, so crazy, so ridiculous, that if God does it, if God chooses to show up and do that thing that you're praying for, that it'll only be him, that he and he alone will be the only one that could get credit for it? Are you praying for somebody to be healed? 
maybe yourself or a family member, and I know the doctors have said there's no chance. I mean, they've already tried everything there is out there to try. They've done all the tests they need to do, and they're just saying, just kind of give up. But maybe, just maybe, God wants to do something so big, so powerful, that he and he alone will get the credit for it. Is there somebody in your life that just seems too far out of God's reach? A neighbor or a friend, a family member that God's saying, hey, are you praying for this person? That I know, I mean, there's, there's probably no way they're coming to know Jesus. I mean, Ernest, you don't know them. Like, they are so far outside of God's grace. I know, I get that. But maybe, just maybe, God wants to do something so great, so powerful, that he and he alone will get the credit for it. Or maybe, maybe, are you praying for a, ne- a faith step, a next faith step? Not something simple like read the Bible more or pray more, but like something so big, so ridiculous. Like if you were to tell people, if you were to say it out loud, people would think you're crazy. Like if you were to tell your family, hey, I think we're doing this. Hey, I think we're called to move. I think we're called to give more. I think we're called to whatever it may be. People think, oh man, you're nuts. Like that's crazy. That doesn't even sound right. But maybe, just maybe, It's God wanting to do something so big, so powerful in your life that he and he alone can get the credit for it. This is kind of where we are as a church and where I'm at as a leader. I mentioned earlier that we're gonna be starting the second campus and when I felt like God putting that on my heart to start this other campus because we need to reach more people for Christ and impact our city in different ways, I just began to think, man, that just seems crazy. Like, nothing about this makes sense. Nothing about starting a second campus makes sense. I mean, we're barely a year old. I mean, you don't find many church plants that are a year old that are starting, that are starting second and third campuses. Like, that just doesn't make sense. We, we need more people. We don't have enough people. We need more sound engineers. We need more musicians. We just need more people. It doesn't make sense there. And we need more money. I mean, 80% of our budget comes from internal giving. That means that 20% of our budget comes from churches like Lake Point which means we're not even self-sufficient, and it's gonna cost us $250,000 to start this new campus. Like, where's the money gonna come from? And I remember when I felt like God telling us to do this, I began thinking about all these different things that we don't have, and, and I was just praying to God one day. It was more like complaining to God, but you know, I called it prayer. Have you ever done that before? Like, just complain, and it's prayer. So I'm just complaining. I'm like, God, this doesn't make sense. Like, okay, I believe you're calling us to do this, but none of this makes sense. Like, we don't have the people, we don't have the money. And as clear as I've heard God speak to me before, he said this, Ernest, when was the last time I called you to step out in faith and it made sense? I thought, oh, yeah, that's right. Like, maybe, just maybe, God wants to do something so big, so powerful, that he and he alone can get the credit for it. Like, no one's going to be able to say, oh, Ernest, your strategy really worked there. Or Ernest, you're such an unbelievable leader. You're really able to like raise money and do this and do that. And, like no one's gonna be able to say that. But like God's gonna do something so big and so powerful in our town that people are gonna come to know Jesus Christ personally, and it will result in the praise of people, uh, the praises of people uh, praising God. It will result in that because He'll do something so great and so powerful. And I'm excited. I mean, I'm scared. You know, I don't want to have to call up Pastor Steve and beg for a job here at Lake Point or anything like that. But I'm believing that God will do something powerful, something great, and I'm excited to see what happens. I'm excited to see where the people come from. I'm excited to see people who will move from various parts of the United States to be a part of our church, people within our church that aren't currently serving. I'm excited to see who who those people are that will step up, rise up, and and get into leadership and serving opportunities. I'm excited to see where the money is gonna come from. I have no clue 
where the money's gonna come from. But I'm excited. I'm excited that complete strangers will walk up and, and say, hey, this is for the campus. I'm excited to be walking downtown Castle Rock and some random guy, some complete stranger comes up to me and says, hey, I heard you're starting something with your church and I just felt like giving some money. And I'm gonna be like, that's awesome. Like, because God wants to do something so great, so big, so powerful in our town so that people will come to know Jesus and people will praise him for it that it's something so great that only he can get the credit for. So what are you praying for God to get credit for in your life? What relationship in your life needs redeeming, needs restoration? I know it looks too far gone. Like both parties aren't playing fair and and all of that. I, I get that, but are you praying that God would do something so great, so powerful that only he can get the credit for it? Are you praying for God to get the credit in your workplace, in your family, in your neighborhood? Are you praying for God to get the credit in your community? What are you praying for God to do that's so big, so crazy, seems ridiculous, seems outlandish, like it's never gonna happen, but maybe, just maybe, God wants to do something so big, so powerful that only he can get the credit for it. For some of us in here, maybe that's simply us just taking the next step of faith. Maybe it's exploring this whole Jesus guy. Maybe you didn't grow up in the church. Maybe it's your first time in church or you've never given your life to Christ. And maybe God's just simply calling you to take that next step, to begin asking more questions about Jesus. Maybe meeting the campus pastor at your connection center or talking to the campus pastor online or, or whatever, or asking a friend who knows Christ and more about this Jesus guy. Maybe it's reading the Bible more. Whatever your next step of faith is, maybe God's calling you to trust in him, that his grace is sufficient for you. And if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you, you're not too far gone. God's grace is sufficient for you, and you may feel like you're too far, you may feel empty, you may feel like everything you've been doing on your own is is not working, and it will never work. Why? Because God wants to do something in your life that's so great, so powerful, that only he can get the credit for, and he's the only one that can save So maybe that's your first step. For some of us, maybe we're followers of Jesus and God's just calling us to take a next faith step. Maybe it is to read our Bible more. Maybe it is to pray more. Maybe it is to get a part of a life group or serve here at Lake Point or give more or whatever it may be. Maybe that's your next step, to trust God to do the great big things that only he can get the credit for. And then maybe your next step is simply praying, praying bigger prayers. I firmly believe that our view of God is reflected in our prayers. That if we believe that God is a big, mighty God, then our prayers will be big, mighty prayers. But if we have this view that God's just kind of small, then we'll just pray for small things. Because if God was big and he's powerful, then of course we'd be saying, God, do the impossible. Like God, change our nation. Like God, do something so great, so powerful that no politician can get credit for, that no church can get credit for, that no legislation can get credit for, but God, you and you alone can get the credit for this thing. And maybe for some of us, God's saying, I just need you to start praying bigger prayers, trusting in him that he is good and he is powerful. And when you and I not only start praying these big, big, bold prayers, And we start living it out in such a way that we're saying, God, I'm gonna live in such a way that only you can get the credit for my life. Then people will be drawn to Jesus and they'll place their faith in him and it will result in people praising God. May that be true of us. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you.
Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your truth, God, that's found in your word. God, we are so grateful for all that you do and the miracle of this guy, the guy that was over 40 years old and, and a paralytic his entire life, and God, you did the miraculous. What others would have said, that's crazy. There's no way that could happen. Yet, God, you did it, and it resulted in people coming to know you and, and the entire town praising you. God, may we believe that you are still that same God, that you still do great and powerful and mighty things, and you want to do great and powerful and mighty things in our life, in our church, in our community. God, I pray that people, when they look at us, that they would see a reflection of you, Jesus, that they would see our lives, they would see our, our deeds, they would see, hear our words, and God, that they would say, I think He's been, I think she's been with Jesus. And may God, may we pray these crazy prayers. And may we live in such a way that we want you to do the impossible. What others would say can't happen or can't work, God, may you do it in our lives and in our churches. God, we thank you and we give you the honor and the glories in Jesus' name.